Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Good, good. It's so good to see so many of you guys. I'm super, super pumped that you guys are here worshiping with us this morning or joining online. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, if you have a paper Bible or your phone, I want to jump right into our text this morning. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along as well. But I'd love to just read this as we set the tone for our time together this morning. This is what it says, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I know Sam just prayed, but we can't pray too much, so I would love to just pray as we uh, kind of frame our time together this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for even just a series where we talk about what it means to be godly, Christ-centered parents. God, whether, whether there's people in here who are further along on their parenting journey or people whose parenting journey hasn't started yet, um, or maybe people who are not called to be parents at all, God, I pray that every single one of us will receive a word from you today, that your promise is that your word, when taught, when preached, does not return void. And so may it pierce our hearts and our minds this morning. May it speak to us in powerful ways so that we leave looking more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Question, does any other parents in the room ever feel like they are pouring out of an empty cup when it comes to parenting? <laughs> Some of us are way too gung-ho. I, I was like running through this sermon with my wife this morning, and I asked her that question in her exact words, and I quote, thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> and she laughed at me. But it's true, right? I mean, I think every single one of us, whether you're a parent or not, I think all of us have had this experience before. Do you ever feel like you are pouring out of a cup that is completely empty? You know, there's a lot of pressure these days as parents to be perfect in every single way, isn't there? To make sure we're doing all the right things for our kids. And so what we end up doing is we find ourselves pouring out of an empty cup. For example, maybe, maybe your kids are in sports and we want to love our kids well in their schedule. And so we drive them to soccer practice and to gymnastics and to band and to swim meets. And we find ourselves pouring out of an empty cup with our schedules with our kids. 
Maybe, maybe you want to love your kids well in the sense of them being well-adjusted, good humans that have good friends and are invested in a relationship. So we take them to birthday parties and we invest in extended family relationships and we bring them to play dates with friends and, and we find ourselves as parents simply pouring out of an empty cup. We also want our kids to succeed. So we bring them to every school activity that we can. We pour out of an empty cup with school. We splash out love on them with homework. We, we pour out of an empty cup in so many different ways as parents. We also want our kids to have fun. So we do vacations and park days and splash pads. Some of us are pouring out of an empty cup. You know, I was having a conversation with um, somebody who's an older parent who has older kids and what he explained to me is that for, for many parents of teenagers, they feel like they pour out of an empty cup in the form of worrying about their kids, right? Maybe you're not driving your kids any, anywhere anymore, but you worry about your kids or your kids have faith questions they are navigating that you simply don't feel like you have the answers to, and so you feel like you're pouring out of an empty cup. And then there's faith too, right, among the mix. We feel this pressure to, to bring our kids to church and to, to raise them in godly homes, Sunday school and youth group events and hard questions that we don't know the answers to. And, and for so many of us, we feel like we're pouring out of an empty cup. There's a lot of people, I think, in this room today, a lot of people watching online who feel like they are pouring out of a cup that is completely empty. The pressure to do it all, the pressure to be it all, the pressure to have it all together for our kids. My wife and I have an on ongoing joke in our family, and you're not allowed to judge us for this because you probably do the same thing, but there are some days where we would be like, if kids could have a return policy, which one of the three would it be today? And that can change by the hour, by the way. You know you've done it. <laughs> Here's the thing, parenting is a very overwhelming thing sometimes, and the temptation of the overwhelmed parent is to outsource our parenting. The temptation of the overwhelmed parent is to outsource our parenting. The, the kind of funny, tongue-in-cheek word we're giving to this today is dry cleaner parents, right? Where we, we bring our kids to maybe church or to school in kind of this wadded up mess. They're dirty, they're filthy. And uh, we just hope that they come out of church or out of school kind of cleaned and starched and other people can kind of just raise our kids for us and do the heavy lifting when it comes to raising our kids. Coaches can teach our kids character. YouTube can teach our kids culture. Schools can teach our kids how to read and write. And pastors can teach our kids faith. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I I'm not a dry cleaner parent. I don't, I don't have this issue. You ever let your iPad babysit your kids before? Sam and I have. We'll go first. Or, or what about this one? What, what are your kids, what did they learn last week in Sunday school? Or what are they studying in youth group right now? Many of us might not know, right? Uh, Sam and I have been there. I had to ask Josh what, what we're studying this past week. So I would know. They're studying James, by the way. They just finished up James. So... Uh, but it's, it's sometimes easy, and this is understandable, no judgment here whatsoever, because we do the same thing, but it's, it's sometimes understandable that it's easy to pass off the burden of raising our kids onto other people because so many of us as parents feel like we are pouring out of an empty cup that cannot get refilled. 
And so what we find ourselves doing is chasing this idea of balance, right? Balancing school and sports and faith and all of these different things. But here's, here's what you need to hear this morning. God's desire for your family is not perfect balance. He doesn't desire for you to just find good balance in life. God's desire for your family, instead of balance, is to actually find a perfect core in your family. Not balance between a bunch of different equal things, but a core, a center out of which everything else flows. That's God's heart for families. And I believe that if, if we can, can find this perfect core, if we can practice this perfect core as parents and as families and as individuals, we no longer pour out of an empty cup for a bunch of different equal things, but we actually find ourselves with a cup that is filled to overflowing with the love and presence of God in every single area of our lives. I believe that's possible for families. I believe that's possible for you, and I believe that when we do this, when we make some subtle shifts in our parenting, we will have a cup that is not empty but is filled, and it can change some things in our families. And that's the prayer in Deuteronomy. That's the prayer we just read. In fact, this prayer served for Jewish people during this time as the core of everything they did. It was this prayer. We call it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is, it is this prayer here that was the core of the Jewish family, and everything else revolved around it. It wasn't just kind of balance among a bunch of different things, sports and school and academics and extracurricular stuff. No, this was, this was core. So much so that it was the first thing Jewish families said when they woke up. It was the last thing Jewish families said when they went to bed, kids said it, adults said it, grandparents said it, everybody said it. It was a fundamental conviction. I read somewhere that, that some Jewish families said this prayer regularly up to seven times daily. It was the core of their families. And yet this prayer is subversive from the beginning. Even these words here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What this is saying here is that there is a core of life. You see, these words were spoken into a world where there were a lot of different gods. It was a very polytheistic world where there was a God of the sea and a God of the mountains and a God of the storms and a God of the land and a God of the wind and a God of pretty much every single thing that you could think of, a very balanced world, right? Gods of everything. And yet Moses here, he speaks directly into that and he says, no, 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 life is not about balance. Life is about finding a core and Yahweh and Yahweh alone, the God of Israel is the core of life around which everything else circles. Everything else flows out of that. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I think balance, this is a little bit of a harsh way to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyways, because I don't really care. Balance, I think, is just a fancy word for idolatry. I think it's just a fancy word for trying to navigate a bunch of different menu items that we view as equals. And yet this statement here, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning God is God alone in our families, is a subversive statement because what it means is it means who is God in our homes? 
who or what is God in our homes? Maybe for some of us, we have multiple gods in our home. Maybe it's sports. Right? I'm not knocking on sports. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, but maybe, it's, maybe it's a sport. You know, public schools used to schedule. I remember this when I was the first a youth pastor. They used to schedule sports in a way that protected church activities and youth group and, and making faith kind of a core of life. Those days are long gone now. Every single day of the week is on the table for sports now in schools to the point where I've seen families brush aside church entirely for the sake of traveling teams and going about sports. And if that's you, I'm not, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn, but I, I think it's important that we name that some of our families have more than one God. What about this one, convenience? I think convenience has become another God in our home. Right, I've had a lot of conversations with people during this pandemic and they've come up to me and they said, you know, I just really, this pandemic has shown me I just really love staying home. Yeah, me too. Like, I like that too. We all do. But convenience is not our God in our homes. It can't be. What about this one? Academics. Is there crippling pressure in your home to succeed academically? Some of you are like, nope, we're a C-plus home and we're proud of it. <laughs> yeah. But, but for some homes, this is the case, right? Academics are the God in our home and we, we elevate that as the highest thing. Or, or maybe this last one here is, is image or perception or comparison God in your home. But we have to keep up with the image that this family is portraying on Facebook or Instagram. We have to keep up with the Joneses and the way we dress and speak and act and carry ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm raising pastor's kids, and pastor's kids don't have it all that easy. And I'm very aware of that as I navigate this world, as I navigate parenting. Here's why this matters so much. Because the thing that you make God in your home as a parent is the thing that your kids will run to for the rest of their lives for stability, for identity, and for purpose. The thing you choose to make God in your home is the thing that your kids will run to. And some of us, some of us just need to confess this morning that we have a lot of different gods that play in our home, but no real core, no real foundation. You know, I'm not suggesting that we forsake good endeavors like sports and academics. Those are really good things. I'm not saying that at all. But the thing is, is that faith cannot be just a menu option among different things. The way we engage in sports, the way we engage in academics, the way we engage in all of the different things of life ought to flow out of the core, which is the love of God and for the glory of God in all things. And that's why, that's why Moses goes on in Deuteronomy 6 here, and he says this in verse 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Friends, that's not balance language. That is core, core language. With all this talk about core, I feel like we need to start doing planks or something in here. 
But, but yeah, no thank you. But Jewish people, I mean, literally they did this, right? So this isn't metaphorical for, for Jewish people. When it says bind them as a sign on your hand or tie them to your foreheads, they literally did this. They had little other boxes called phylacteries where they would tie little verses of scripture, mo most of the time this one right here, on their hands and on their foreheads. Can you imagine as a parent today if we still did that? Like your kid is getting rushed off to school and you're like, did you remember your lunchbox? Did you remember your backpack? Did you remember your phylacteries? <laughs> so ridiculous. But they were, they were literal about this because they weren't after balance as a family. They were after a strong unshakable core, which for them was the love of God. What Yahweh is saying to Israel, what the God of Israel is saying is, I want you to love me with every fiber as your being as a family. I want your love for me to be the core around which everything else circles. I want your love for me to not just be an elective or an elect, uh, extracurricular. I want that to be core for everything you do. It's interesting because Moses in this passage, he, 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 he speaks about loving God as a command, right? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, strength, and might. You shall love the Lord your God. So for Moses, this is not just about a feeling, right? We've reduced love to a feeling in our culture. But can you command somebody to feel a certain way? You, you really can't. You can't command feelings. But what you can command is actions that can lead to feelings. And so when Moses is talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's not talking about just coming and having a warm, fuzzy, emotive experience on a Sunday morning. He is talking about rebuilding a life, rebuilding a family surrounding the love of God, rebuilding priorities, rebuilding perspectives, rebuilding consistency all around the love of God. You cannot command a feeling, but you can command an action that leads to deep commitment and feeling. And so I want to give you just a couple practical things, even just in the middle of the sermon today, just some really practical ways that we, I believe, as parents can do this. And they're right here in the text. Two guideposts. The first one here is this. As parents, are we cultivating priorities in our family? Do our kids, whether they're two years old or 25 years old, do our kids know deeply what is most important in our lives? Do our kids know what our priorities are? In verse 6, Moses says this, he says, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words. Build your priorities as a family around the love of God. You know, my parents are here this morning, and, and one of the things that we always did as a family, and I didn't always love it as a kid, but it was always very consistent, is after we would have family meal together, we would, uh, we'd read a passage of scripture, and we would do uh, keys for kids. Anybody remember keys for kids at all? And uh, so you'd read this little, it's basically just a very short family devotional. And at the end of it, uh, there was always like a key or like a key phrase from it. And we would always go around and guess the key and whoever got it right, word for word, would get a dollar. So it was a little bit, you know, manipulative, but it, but it worked, right? <laughs> 
But that's, I mean, that's what it means in, in my mind to, to cultivate priorities as a family. Maybe, maybe it's not that for you as a family, but are there, are there priorities that you're willing to set up as a family that say, you know what? I want my kids to know no matter what age they are, that love of God comes first. One of the ones that's emerging for us is like family worship jam sessions where we'll just get out the guitar and like little Rowie who's sleeping in the front row here will just like break out, raise a hallelujah. And she loves it. But there's no reason it has to be boring and dumb, right? Like faith can be fun and it can meet your family where you're at. Are you cultivating priorities in your family that say, we have a core, not just balance in our lives. And then the second one here, is this one, cultivate consistency. Cultivate consistency. In verse seven, this is what it says, that you shall speak of these, you shall repeat them again and again and again. I think one of the most powerful things a family can do together is to sit around a dinner table or sit on a couch at night or even on a ride to school and say these two questions here, ask these two questions here, number one, where did I see God today? I've brought that up before. Where did I see God today? You ask a three-year-old where they saw God today, your faith is gonna grow. You ask a 16-year-old where you saw God today, you might not get an answer, but there is a chance your, your faith could grow. And then the second question is this, how did I love God today? It's a powerful question we can ask as parents. How did I love God today? You know, Jesus was the one that says loving God is best expressed through loving people. Imagine the stories that could come in your family if we just asked this simple question, how did I love God today? It teaches our kids what it means to, to build a core in our lives that everything else circles around and not just balance. So that when I'm asking that, think about this, when I'm asking that question, how did I love God today? How did I love God on my team today? How did I love God in my classroom today? How did I love God at my job today? Those are really incredible practices that we can put in place as, our, as families. And guess what? You don't need all the answers to all the deep theological questions to do just that. It's an easy starting point. I love how uh, theologian James Smith says it. He says this, and the quote's not gonna be on the screen, but I'd love to just read it. What makes us who we are, the kind of people we are, is what we love. More specifically, our identity is shaped by what we ultimately love or what we love as ultimate. What we love is ultimately a vision of what we hope for, what we think the good life looks like, and how our lives are oriented. This vision of the good life shapes all kinds of actions and decisions and habits that we undertake often without our thinking about it. So when I say that, I, that love defines us, I don't mean that our love for the Chicago Cubs or chocolate chip scones, but rather our desire for a core of life. What he is saying here is he's saying that if loving God is just one option on the menu versus the core of our entire lives as families, we're gonna forever burn ourselves out. We're gonna forever be pouring out of an empty cup in pursuit of balance. And by the way, spoiler, balance is impossible. It's impossible to find. It's elusive. And so for Deuteronomy 6, Moses goes into every area of life in your home, teach these to your children, on the road. What he's saying is that your private life and your public life should be oriented around the love of God 
in school, in sports, in rest, in entertainment. Everything we should do should circle around the love of God. On your doorposts and city gates, our family lives, our church life, our communal life, our political life should all revolve around love of God. Every single component of it. And I just want to bring this back to center. Who is it that God entrusts to make this a reality in families? It's not a trick question. Who is it in this text that God entrusts? It's parents. It's parents to be the catalyst to do just that. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, preacher, man, that's a tall order. That's not a small task. And, and you're right. It's not. Maybe you have a teenager that won't speak to you right now or has gone completely off the rails or is, is living a life that you are just continually just like, oh, what are you doing right now? I was a youth pastor for, for many, many years. And I got to tell you, I worked with a lot of different types of parents. I worked with really good parents and really, yeah, other parents too. <laughs> and I'll say this, some of the best parents that I worked with had students who would not speak to them. Some of the best parents that I worked with had students who got pregnant. Some of the best parents I worked with were parents of kids who, I remember one situation where they were sending their son off to Teen Challenge in Muskegon for drug rehab. I, I gotta tell you, and I wanna encourage you, if you're in that place right now, that does not mean you are a bad parent or you have failed as a parent. Because what makes parents the best parents possible is not necessarily the outcomes of who your kids become, but your faithfulness to continue pouring into them, to continue investing in them. What makes some of these parents the best ones that I've seen is they all had something in common, a love of God that drove their love for their kids. A love that said, I don't care how far gone my kid is, I will never stop praying for them every single day. A love that said, my kid may not speak to me, but I will stop at nothing to find the adults and the people that they will speak to and will pour into them. A love that says, I will never stop telling the story of God's faithfulness in my life as a parent and in our family story, I will never top, stop telling that story. See, there's a difference between expecting others to be a substitute for you as a parent and partnering with other people to raise your kids. The reality is we need a village to raise our kids. Amen? Like, we cannot do this alone. We need each other. But here's what I want you to hear. That your, teach, your kids' teachers, they only have a small snippet of who your kids are. Right? They only get them for a few hours a day. Your kids' coaches, same thing. They only have a small snippet of who your kids are. Your kids' pastors and small group leaders, they only have a small snippet of who your kids are. They're an important snippet, but, but only a small one. But you as parents, you get the bigger picture of who your kids are. That's why it's so important that as parents, we act as spiritual directors for our kids that some ways just looks like making the right connections with the right people and praying for our kids and walking alongside them and not giving up on them. If you look here at the average amount of time a parent versus a pastor gets with kids, a youth pastor, Josh, he's in the back there. Hi, Josh. Uh, he gets about 50 hours a year with your kids on average. For those that are very consistent, 50 hours a year, you as parents get about 3,000 hours a year with your kids. 
Every single piece of psychological, sociological, and theological research suggests the same thing. Parents are the most important influencer in the lives of their kids. Whether their kids are two years old or 25 years old, whether you have kids that feel like they're far gone, parents are the single most important faith influencer in the lives of their kids. But your role, listen to this, your role is not to pour out of an empty cup for your kids. Your role is not to just find balance and do everything and be everything for your kids. We cannot pour out of an empty cup as parents. It's like that analogy on the airline, right? Where you put your mask on first before you help your kids or the person next to you with their oxygen mask, right? We can't, we can't pour out of an empty cup for our kids. And God doesn't want us to. He doesn't desire us to. In fact, there's a conversation a few verses later in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where the son and his father are talking about these laws that God has given the Israelite people. They're talking about it. The son is asking questions about it. And essentially, what the son is asking his father is he's saying, Dad, I see that the core of your life is surrounding the love of God. I see you are obeying his commandments, that you are following his ways, that you are living in his statutes. And the son's question is basically this, why should I do the same thing? Why should I do it? I think a lot of us were raised in a home that said, because God said so. That's why you should do it. In fact, in verse 24 of Deuteronomy 6, that's what it says, right? The Lord our God has commanded us this. But there's something that happens before that. Because you can say, because God said so, and you can get compliance and behavior modification, but you will not capture the hearts of your kids with simply just that statement. What happens before verse 24 here is this conversation between this father and his son, and this is what he says. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Watch what he says to say. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous against, Pharaoh, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And then it goes, and because God said so after that. The point being is that when faced with this question about what it means to shape and develop our kids, even before Jesus ever came, the story of redemption is the most powerful story that a parent has to pass on to their kids. It's not just because God said so. It's because God is faithful, because God has proven himself again and again, because God is worthy, because God has redeemed us, because God has rescued us. That's why he's worthy to be obeyed and listened to. That's why he's worthy. That's why we listen to what he says. You, my friends, have a gospel story that you can share with your kids that more than anything else in your life shows that your life has a core to it out of which everything else flows. You have a story. How many of our kids have heard our stories of God's faithfulness, of God's persistent presence, of God's holiness, of God's redemption in our lives? You have a story to share. Don't withhold that gospel story from your kids. Many of you know, and I'll close with this story here. 
Many of you know that uh, we have a, a son that we're in the process of adopting right now. He's a little two-year-old Theo. He's uh, just love this kid to pieces. He's amazing. And uh, Theo, if, if you kind of know the story, had a pretty rough start to life. His biological parents were not stellar people, and I don't make that statement lightly. Um, they were just not, not great people and did some pretty horrible things. And uh, one of the things is Theo's dad that I wanted him to know and that I want him to know more than anything else is that he is loved. I want that to be a foundation for him. I want that to be a security for him that he can build his life around. And so several months back, Sam and I started just trying to get him to say it back. We would, we would say things like, I love you, buddy. Nothing. He wouldn't say anything. And then we'd say, hey, can, can you say I love you, Dada? N nothing. Wouldn't say anything. Can you say, can you say I love you, Mama? N nope. It was almost like he was embarrassed to say it back. And as a parent, I, j I just wanted more than anything else for my son to say I love you back. And he wouldn't do it. I'm like, what's going on? So we kept at it. And we kept at it. Theo, can you say I love you, Dada? Can you say I love you, Mama? And eventually, eventually, through like clenched lips, he repeated it and he got the words out, I love you, Dada. Hi, Daddy. That's him right there. And it took a few days, a few weeks before he said it again, but then he repeated it after us again. Hi, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. And then he started repeating it faster after us. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. He would just keep saying it. And it's forever burned in my mind the first time my son Theo said it unprompted on his own. He came running up to me after I got home from work, wrapped his arms around my legs, and he said, I love you, Daddy. And I don't just tell that story to, you know, whatever. The reason I tell that story it's because that is exactly what God is after in our homes and in our parents, as, as in our lives as parents. That for some of us, saying I love you, God, with our lives as parents, maybe that's a hard thing. Maybe we carry a lot of shame and a lot of brokenness in our stories. And so it begins just with kind of this like forced repetition, I love you, God. And that's a hard thing to say in our families, in our homes. But then we start saying it more often. I love you, God. I love you, Father. And it starts to become a rhythm, a pattern that we repeat in our homes and in our families. And then it becomes such core to who we are as parents and as families that we cannot help with everything that we are over and over again in front of our kids, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, saying with everything we've got, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. See, God's desire is not for us to have a cup that is empty. His desire is that his love will be the thing that fills our cups to full and overflowing as parents, as individuals, as kids, that our families would look like a cup that is full of his love. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 17 through 21, where Paul describes it this way. He says this. He says, so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen to this next line, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, a cup that overflows. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, and listen to this last part, and throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You stand and join us as we respond in worship to this God who desires to fill our cups this morning.